What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the movies West Side Story, Licorice Pizza, and Kimmy. First, let's talk about the movie West Side Story. Here's a quick synopsis. In 1957, New York City, Tony, a former troubled youth right out of prison, begins to fall for Maria. The problem, they are aligned with rival gangs, one white, the Jets, and one Puerto Rican, the Sharks. Of course, I wanted to see this movie because I love film and this is a remake of a classic but the big selling point for me is not because it's a remake of West Side Story but because the film is directed by one of the best directors of all time Steven Spielberg and the film stars Rachel Zegler, Ansel Elgort, Ariana DeBose, Mike Feist, David Alvarez, Rita Moreno, Josh Rivera, Brian Darcy James and Corey Stoll. The standout performances come from Rachel Zegler as Maria who gives a terrific debut performance. There's one moment in particular I thought to myself I'm watching a movie star it's when she's singing I Feel Pretty. This was a movie star making role for Rachel Zegler. Ariana DeBose who's made a name for herself for starring in The Prom with Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep arguably gives the best performance in the movie as Anita. She's incredible in some of the film's most heartbreaking moments. She also has great chemistry with Zegler especially during the song they sing together A Boy Like That. And finally, Mike Feist is shockingly good as Riff, the leader of the Jets. It's my personal favorite performance of the movie, and and he definitely deserved a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Oscars. And I don't want to dwell too much on Ansel Elgort as Tony. All I'll say is, I thought he was fine in the role he was given. Rachel Zegler's star is shining bright as she will next star in Shazam! Fury of the Gods, the sequel to the hit Shazam! with Zachary Levi and Helen. Helen Mirren, and in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as the titular role of Snow White, along with Gal Gadot playing the evil queen. The movie is written by Greta Gerwig, one of the best modern screenwriters. She's written Frances Ha, Lady Bird, and Little Women, and the film will be directed by Mark Webb, who is best known for directing 500 Days of Summer and the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Ariana DeBose will next star in the movies ISS with John Gallagher Jr. and Chris Messina, and Argyle with Henry. Henry Cavill, Sam Rockwell, Bryce Dallas Howard, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Samuel L. Jackson, John Cena, and Dua Lipa, directed by Matthew Vaughn. As previously mentioned, this remake of West Side Story was directed by Steven Spielberg, and there seems to be a narrative that this movie is a bit of a return to form for Spielberg. I find this to be ridiculous. Spielberg's recent works include Lincoln in 2012, one of my favorite of his films, Daniel Day-Lewis won an Oscar, Bridge of Spies in 2015 with Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance. Guess what? Mark Rylance won the Oscar. The Post in 2017 with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. The movie was nominated for Best Picture and Ready Player One in 2018, which is like Spielberg's homage to his own earlier work. He's still a master filmmaker and prolific now more than ever in his 70s. He's instead of, say, cashing in and directing Indiana Jones 5. Spielberg's next film, The Fablemans, which I am highly anticipating, is a semi-autobiographical movie about his childhood and stars Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, and Seth Rogen. It's the first movie Spielberg has been a 
credited writer on since AI. He co-wrote the movie with Tony Kushner, who has written Munich, Lincoln, and West Side Story for Spielberg. The duo have formed one of the best director-writer combos. And if you question Spielberg's credential as a screenwriter, just watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which saw Spielberg get nominated for Best Screenplay at the Oscars. West Side Story is, of course, a remake of the original film that won Best Picture at the Oscars in 1961. And I won't say this version is better, but I do want to point out the changes that have been made that I really liked. The first is the moment where Maria first dances with Tony. In the original film, it's for all to see. In the remake, it's private behind the bleachers it's one of my favorite moments of the remake another moment i liked better in the remake is when tony is yelling for maria in the streets in the original he finds her right away but in the remake they let that moment sit a while before he finds her does the street gang aspect of this movie hold up not so much but what does hold up is the racial aspect of the movie how we as a society are divided and choose sides against people we really don't even know. That part of the movie holds up wonderfully. A lot of the talk around West Side Story has been surrounding its failure at the box office. Really, none of this year's big movie musicals were box office smashes. West Side Story so far has made about $65 million with a budget over $100 million. Dear Evan Hansen made under $20 million on a budget over $28 million and In the Heights made $44 million on a budget of $54 million. I think it all has to do with the fact that these are not the type of movies that are dominating the box office. These are not Dune, Bond, Venom, or Spider-Man, and these are not big, broad studio fare like Jungle Cruise and Free Guy. Movie musicals have not been doing good for a while. La La Land and The Greatest Showman are exceptions, and they are original musicals. West Side Story is a remake of a classic film. There will be some people rightfully or wrongfully say, been there, done that. We need to change what success means for films. Box office can no longer be the lone measuring stick. West Side Story and In the Heights as movies are very good to great. And for me, that's what matters most. I do have to say West Side Story is my second favorite movie musical of 2021. The first being Tick, Tick, Boom. Both it and West Side Story are loving tributes to the late, great Stephen Sondheim. Let's talk about Oscar nominations. West Side Story was nominated for Best Supporting Actress Ariana DeBose for playing Anita, a role for which Rita Moreno won an Oscar for the original film. DeBose is currently the favorite to win. The only actors in the history of Oscars to win an award for playing the same role are Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro as Vito Corleone and Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. Morena and DeBose might soon join that list. Steven Spielberg was nominated for Best Director for the eighth time in his career. He previously won for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, and he becomes the first director ever to get a Best Director nomination across six different decades, the 1970s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now 2020s. The film was also nominated for Best Cinematography and for Best Picture. Overall, West Side Story is one of the best and one of my favorite remakes, right up there with the 
the Coen Brothers version of True Grit and Bradley Cooper's A Star is Born and one of my favorite movie musicals. I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. It's not going to win Best Picture like the original, but it lives up to the classic in my eyes, makes key improvements. Let's switch gears and talk about the movie Licorice Pizza. Here's a quick synopsis. Set in 1973, Alana is a lost 20-something who begins to hang out with 15-year-old Gary Valentine, who is an actor and an entrepreneur. The film stars Alana Heim, Cooper Hoffman, Bradley Cooper, Sean Penn, Tom Waits, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, and Benny Safdie. Now, the big selling point for this film is who made this movie. It's Paul Thomas Anderson, who is on the short list of must-see directors. When he makes a movie, you have to go see it. And the standout performances come from Alana Heim, who is wonderful in her first movie ever. She has movie star qualities. She was the most compelling thing on screen throughout. She gives a subtle performance, which is not something you always see in a PTA movie. You usually see actors going for it and burning up the screen. I think her as the lead of this is a great change of pace. This film is also the first movie for her co-star Cooper Hoffman, who is the son of the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, who worked with Paul Thomas Anderson five times on Hard Aid, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and The Master. And this performance feels like a tribute to his late father. You can see the similarities at times between Cooper and his late great father, who was one of the best actors of his generation. 2021 was a cool year for sons of late iconic actors. You have this movie that had Cooper Hoffman working with his father's closest collaborator, and you also had Michael Gandolfini in The Many Saints of Newark playing the character that made his father James Gandolfini famous, Tony Soprano. It's awesome seeing these young actors paying homage to their fathers while also proving that they're the real deal themselves. The other performance in this film that everyone's been talking about is Bradley Cooper, who is playing the infamous movie producer John Peters, and he is one of the absolute best things about this movie. Paul Thomas Anderson is great in that he gets unique performances from well-known movie stars. See Burt Reynolds in Boogie Nights and Tom Cruise in Magnolia. Bradley Cooper just enters Licorice Pizza and takes the entire movie over for about eight minutes. Paul Thomas Anderson, like many, is one of my favorite filmmakers. His films, though, are not always easy to digest. You really have to pay attention to the movies he's made. He's made some of the most intense films ever. Magnolia, There Will Be Blood in the Master. While he's also made some more lighthearted films like Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love, and Inherent Vice. And that's what I would categorize Licorice Pizza as. It's not one of those movies you have to obsess over the meaning. It's more of a casual hangout type of film. It's way more chill than The Master and There Will Be Blood. But if you love movies that are plot heavy, then Licorice Pizza may not be the movie for you. At its core, it's about this unusual pair, a 15-year-old and a possibly 25-year-old. It's not super clear her actual age. And this relationship between Alana and Gary has been a topic of conversation around the film, how it's taboo and wrong. I think if you watch the film, the dynamic between Alana and Gary feels innocent. My favorite moment between the two of them is when Gary is arrested and Alana is scared out of her mind. Hoffman and Heim have unreal chemistry in that moment. 
I think one fair critique of the film is a character who is played by comedic actor John Michael Higgins. His bit in the movie made me feel uncomfortable, and I get that that's probably the point, but it also feels like it's being provocative for provocative sakes. The character is problematic to say the least. What I do really like about Licorice Pizza is the period piece aspect of the movie. It feels of a time in the best way possible. Only in the 1970s could you have a teenager who is an actor who sells waterbeds on the side. Gary is a hustler in a way that's not possible in modern times. Oscar nominations for Licorice Pizza. Paul Thomas Anderson was nominated for Best Director for the third time in his career. His other two nominations were for There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread. He was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It's the fifth of his screenplays nominated, the others being Boogie Nights, Magnolia, There Will Be Blood, and Inherent Vice. Licorice Pizza was also nominated for Best Picture. Now feels like the perfect time for me to rank the nine Paul Thomas Anderson films he's made so far, so here they are. Coming in at number nine is Heart Eight, a solid movie with good performances from John C. Riley, Philip Baker Hall, and Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's nowhere near as good as his later work would go. Number eight, Inherent Vice. I know a lot of people love this film and it's great fun. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing playing a stoner, but the movie is a lot and it's not for everyone. Number seven, Licorice Pizza. For a lot of directors, this would be their best film. Heim, Hoffman, and Cooper are fantastic, but for PTA, it's middle of the pack. I think it's a very good movie, but not his best. Number six, Punch Drunk Love, the film where Adam Sandler proved to the world he's a legit actor. Also, Philip Seymour Hoffman is great with very little screen time. Number five, Phantom Thread, Anderson's second film with Daniel Day-Lewis about an obsessive fashion designer who falls in love along with Vicky Kripes and Leslie Manville who are both incredible number four Magnolia a movie that a lot of people will call his most self-indulgent and yeah the movie is blatantly about fathers I love this movie Tom Cruise is electric I also loved the infamous scene with raining frogs number three the master Philip Seymour Hoffman gives the best performance of his career as a false prophet Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Adams are brilliant as always. It's impossible to come to a consensus about what this movie is actually about. We can all agree the movie is great. Number two, Anderson's original masterpiece, Boogie Nights, about the rise and fall of a porn star. It put Mark Wahlberg on the map as a movie star. I love his bromance with John C. Riley. It made Burt Reynolds relevant again, and you can't talk about this movie without talking about Julianne Moore, who in my opinion gives a career best performance. Also, William H. Macy has one of the most chilling moments in movie history. And number one, my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie and what I think is the best is There Will Be Blood. This film has two of my favorite performances in a PTA movie ever. Daniel Day-Lewis as oil tycoon Daniel Plainville and Paul Dano as preacher Eli Sunday. Their scenes together are iconic. Lewis's Plainville knows that Dano Sunday, like himself, is a salesman who is selfish, the movie has simple meanings like the relationship between father and son and greed, but it's also endlessly deep.
That's my official ranking of the films made by Paul Thomas Anderson. Now let's switch gears one final time and talk about the movie Kimmy. Here's a quick synopsis. Angela is a tech worker who due to personal trauma and COVID-19 does not leave her home. One night she comes across a recording of a murder and must leave her apartment and confront her fears. The film stars Zoe Kravitz, Byron Bowers, Rita Wilson, Robin Givens, Andy Daly, and Erica Christensen. There are two people involved in this movie that desperately made me want to see it and that's director Steven Soderbergh and the star of the film Zoe Kravitz and they delivered in the best way possible. The standout performance comes from Zoe Kravitz who gives in my opinion her best film performance yet. She carried the entire film on her own the same way that Jake Gyllenhaal carried the guilty. You could feel her anxiety when she left her house. She comes across as endlessly cool. She's such a movie star in the last few years, she has really shown her range and high fidelity. Kravitz was funny and charming. In this, she's way more dramatic, but in both, she's equally compelling. And this is going to be a huge year for Kravitz, who's going to be Catwoman in the Batman, coming out in less than a month. And with Kimmy, she's off to a great start. And let's talk about Soderbergh, who has made three really good movies for HBO Max. First, with Let Them All Talk, which features one of my favorite Meryl Streep performances performances along with Lucas Hedges and Gemma Chan who have great chemistry in that film. No sudden move his return to the heist genre with longtime collaborators Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro and now with Kimmy. He makes some pretty clear statements about modern society's reliance and devotion to technology and their use of social media. You'll watch this movie and think to yourself why am I giving all these devices access to private information? Soderbergh's next film which will also be on HBO Max is Magic Mike Free, which will see him reunite with Channing Tatum. The two have worked together prior on Haywire, Magic Mike, Side Effects, and Logan Lucky. Man, do I love Logan Lucky. I highly recommend you check that movie out. Let's talk about the writer of Kimmy. It's David Kep, who has had a very underrated career. He's written the scripts for Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, the first Mission Impossible film, and the first Spider-Man movie. Kimmy, in a way, reminds me of his direct directorial debut, Premium Rush, which stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Michael Shannon. And what these movies Premium Rush and Kimmy have in common is they're both about normal people doing their normal everyday jobs who get placed in the middle of a thriller. I think the biggest compliment I can give to Kimmy is it's a modern take on the conversation, a great classic that was written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Gene Hackman. Watch that movie and then watch Kimmy. I think you'll see a lot of similarities between the two. I also loved the look of Kimmy. The most impressive thing about Steven Soderbergh is that he shoots his own movies. Not only is he one of the best directors working today, he's also one of the best cinematographers. What makes Soderbergh a brilliant director is he knows that he needs movie stars. He is making sometimes really simple movies, but he's making them with the biggest movie stars in the world. Tell me that the movie star is dead. I don't believe you. I just watched this movie and I go, wow, Zoe Kravitz made this movie work. She's the heart and soul of the film. This movie would not have worked without a movie star, the caliber of Zoe Kravitz. And Soderbergh understands that. That's why he's continuing to make movies with movie stars. A lot of people have also compared Kimmy to that movie Blowout, which starred John Travolta. That's another great thriller. I love a great thriller. They should make more thrillers that involve normal people in the movie 
movie. I think when the protagonist is a normal, relatable character, it just gets you invested in the movie so much more than if it's a movie about a superhero. I do find that that's my biggest problem with superhero movies, is I don't relate to the characters at all. You know who I do relate to? Somebody who's having anxiety about leaving their home. That's a relatable character. I also liked how Kimmy was placed in the middle of the pandemic. It made what the character was going through all the more thrilling. You were really rooting for this character to get over her fears, and it gave her more reasons not to leave her house. I mean, there's a scene when Kravitz first goes outside and wears the mask. It is one of the most thrilling and best scenes of 2022 so far. Kimmy is a fantastic start to what I think will be the year of Zoe Kravitz. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney, and I highly recommend you check out the movies West Side Story, Licorice Pizza, and Kimmy. There will be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and next week, I'm putting the spotlight on the career of actor Robert Downey Jr. and the movie Nine Days, starring Zazie Betts and Winston Duke. So tune into that, and please rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribe.